Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Two weeks to go until Christmas. So I am going with my annual tradition. After the show tonight, I will change into my Santa Claus suit. I will not remove it until Boxing Day. Dylan Holloway, Oilers prospect, their first-round draft pick in October 14th overall. He has made Team Canada's roster for the World Junior Tournament. That's being held in Edmonton starting on Christmas Day. Kirby Dock from Fort Saskatchewan. Caden Gooley from Sherwood Park also making the team. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. We welcome back to the show one of the all-time greats on the Edmonton sports scene boxer Jelena Mergenovich, who is getting ready for a big bout coming up on Thursday. Jelena, thanks for checking in tonight. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's nice to talk to you. Now, set me straight here because we've been back and forth uh, for the last couple of days just to nail down this interview. And for some reason, I thought you were on the opposite side of the continent than uh. where you actually are. So what's the story? <laughs> Oh, it's been it's been a training camp. So um, as ever, I don't know if a lot of people know my story, but this is the first training camp I've done full camp um, outside of Edmonton, away from home. You know, um, some people have heard my story, but I'm I have a new camp with a new training coach, Jonathan Banks. Um, and anyway, we started camp in Vegas. We went to LA. We went up to Big Bear in California. And then now I am in Miami, and we are just finished. We finished up camp today, actually, and I'll be back in L.A. for my fight. Uh, fight is Thursday, back in L.A. on Sunday. All right. Uh, I, I believe it's been about 14 months since you've had a bout. Obviously, COVID uh, threw the wrench in a lot of plans. Because you had, did you not have something planned in Edmonton that the pandemic derailed, or what's the story there? Uh, well, I, I mean, my life has kind of been, it was fun. I was talking to one of my friends the other day who's a media guy um, in L.A. and a boxing, big boxing media guy. He's like, your life is a movie right now. So we were um, we were getting ready to train. We started training in December, January for a fight um, that was potentially going to happen overseas to unify um, another title. Um, and then... Unfortunately, my longtime trainer, everybody knows that, uh, second type dad, very close, uh, Milan, had a cardiac arrest in February, February uh, 18th, actually. Um, so that initially derailed my training and kind of like put a curveball in life for me. Um, which was pretty hard, and then of course the pandemic has happened. In happened started happening, and shutdowns happened in March. So my last fight was September of my goodness, what was that would have been 2019, September 2019. Um, so it's been it's been a long layoff and a lot of uh, ups and downs. Well, 
mostly downs. We got ups coming up on Thursday, um, and then a lot of changes. So, you know, never mind COVID, a lot of changes um, in my life and in training and boxing. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, and, and thanks for telling us about Milan. And, uh, you know, ever, ever, as long as I've known you and, and been interviewing you, you, you always uh, you always mention him. So just, you know, tell me about going through that uh, that stress and, and, and all that uh, all that change. Because like you said, I mean, he's, he's like a second dad to you. Um, <laughs> this whole process um, actually came about, I was talking to Mel Lubavac, his daughter, who is my promoter, um, and we've been a little unit. There's been, you know, a few of us that have been doing this and we've been around the world fighting in the last few years so you know we're very close-knit um so Mel and I had a conversation and I was going through and still am I'm going I'm going through all this day to day um but I was going through a you know and everybody is struggling with their mental health right now but I was going through quite a bit of depression um dealing with this and it being so sudden and um you know right now he is in vegetative status um it it doesn't appear that he is going to get any better we are obviously very hopeful still but um the reality is we've been in this situation for close to 10 months um and uh, you know, the only way I know how to sit down and focus and heal and the only thing that I know would get me focused and out of this rut that I'm in mentally would be to be able to get ready for a fight and go through the process and see if this is something that I can still continue to do. Um, and, and honestly, it's, it's, it's been a battle. Um, uh this last week specifically has been very challenging um but i've learned a lot and and my whole thing throughout this whole process is if i can get through this if i can get through this emotionally and mentally then maybe i can find somehow some type of way to heal somebody else in the process um you know this is i'm doing this you know for my mental health i know it seems kind of backwards that i'm going to get punched in the face for my mental health but um this is the only way that i know how to heal um so mel and i sat down and we spoke and and you know there's a lot of fights happening on tv a lot of good opportunities um and so we kind of uh had an opportunity we had a, a ton of terrible opportunities and we had a couple really good ones that we thought were um good exposure um good fights good way to get our feet wet and um and try and start uh the second phase is what i'm kind of calling this like of my career you know like Milan and I have built a legacy and and this is my opportunity to finish our legacy um, the way I see fit. And and the reason why we were still boxing is because I wasn't done. You know, if it was Milan's choice, I would have been done five years ago, but I still feel this burning desire inside of me and this will to fight. And then the fact that fighting um, is still burning inside me. and, And in fact, the only way I know how to heal right now. So um, we got a great opportunity Thursday night. We um, 
set up a new training camp, a new trainer, whom is amazing. Um, you know, he, he's he's no Milan, but he he's he's great. Um, Jonathan Banks we're training with. Um, he is a former world champion. Um, he trained Klitschko. He's currently training uh, Gennady Golovkin, which is why we're in Miami. Um, and and he. Uh, it's been a journey. It's been seven weeks um, up and down. I had a, I was laughing. I, I told Mel I had a little breakdown yesterday, and I full on spazzed in the ring, and then ended up dropping my sparring partner twice. Um, so, I mean, push comes to shove, we know I still have the fire in me. So that's for sure. <laughs> well, I, I don't doubt that Jelena Virginovich joining us tonight on Inside Sports, and and thanks for sharing that that story and and you know you got a lot of supporters listening tonight obviously and uh, i think they will be uh really uh proud of, of how you're dealing with everything and how honest you are with with what's happened in your life and i think more evidence of, of how tough you are so thank you for sharing that uh so it's coming up on thursday uh paula torres is the opponent can you give us a scouting report at all um from what i know of her she's i mean i have a record i have who she's fought she's you know 12 four and two and one sorry um comes to fight little spitballer four losses come to uh decent opponents um you know i've seen videos and clips of her that uh the promoter has shared and and she's in tip top shape and she comes to fight and we know every time someone comes out to fight me is they elevate and they have the best night of their life every time. It's rather annoying, actually. Um, and, and, like, it's, it's, I mean, and that's part of being a world champion. You have to expect people are going to rise to the occasion, and that is you get an opportunity, and it is it is their opportunity to for everything to gain um, and nothing to lose. And for me, it's it's the opposite. Um, however, you know, this, this time out, uh, scouting report, you know, I watched some clips and then for me, this is, this is, uh, this is a mental and emotional battle. Um, I've been, I've been honest to people around me and when I have, I have become quite reclusive, you know, having training camp away and it's, it's kind of what I needed. I needed to disappear and my head down and get to work. Um, because it, it has been a struggle and hard. Um, you know, I've had multiple breakdowns. Uh, I get torn up. Uh, I tear up and get torn up every time I even think about the process. Um, I shared something on my Instagram, and I was. I, it was funny because I Wednesday I had a full-on breakdown. I was in tears, and, and I was watching. Somebody sent me some clips for the promotion because um, they were asking for some videos. And I was watching um, not even the fight. I couldn't even bring myself to watch the fight. The fight wasn't important, but I was watching the process before. And it reminds me that, like, Milan was so much more than my coach and my second dad. He was my mentor. He was my rock. He was – there was a lot of emotions that got pulled up uh, during that video. And, and – I think it reminds me that the mental health is so incredibly important and something that is overlooked and, and people kind of underestimate it. And, and it's funny because Milan and I had a conversation one time and he's like, the thing that um, separates uh, someone who is great and someone who is, is amazing and from the good 
is the mental strength and the stubbornness. And, he, and, and, you know, every fight we always had a conversation and it was, it was the joking before the ease of the conversation. Those are moments that, um, can never be replaced. And, and I had, I had a breakdown on Wednesday and then it translated into not having the same situations while I was training in my last week. And I was like, where is my time that I, you know, the last week you're supposed to be built up. And, you know, I had a different guy, not Jonathan, telling me all of the things that were wrong. And I was like, well, what about all the things that are right? And, like, you know, putting in the universe that good things are going to happen if you just work hard kind of thing. And so I had a full-on breakdown. I, like, screaming, thank God we're in a closed gym and nobody could hear us. And, like, I had a full-on breakdown, but I needed it because it got my head fresh for fight night. And so, you know, roundabout way, I'm not worried about Paola Torres for this fight. I'm worried about me staying strong mentally and emotionally and just doing my job and getting the work done. And then, you know, I know that everybody back at home in Edmonton, and I know that Milan is in my corner, and I know that my people will keep me strong and, and that's what's going to carry me through this fight. Not the, not what Paola Torres is going to do. I, I actually kind of feel bad for this girl because I went straight savage after I had my breakdown and I was straight savage again today, last day of sparring to the point where my 150 pound sparring partner, dude, who's had 108 fights between Muay Thai and boxing came to the corner to our corner in between round three and four and was like, come on, like, come on. Like I was going like, so I, I'm not worried about what the scouting report is for her. I actually worry for her health because I am going to be straight savage this fight. Jalita, I have no doubt about that. Uh, th- thank you so much for coming. For, before I let you go, just a technicality here. Is this, is, is the WBA belt on the line? Both belts on the line? What are the, what's the regulations uh, yeah. here? Again, again, I, I, I'm living a straight movie. The WBC did not want to sanction my fight um, for I don't even know what reason. Like, uh, because they they gave, they I was, I mean, I'll try and summarize the story because I know we're on time limit. But um, I was given a, not a tune-up fight, but a not my mandatory fight for this. A voluntary defense was my understanding um, just to get my feet wet with Jonathan Banks and a new training camp and, and honestly to see if I, I have the mental strength and emotional strength to get through this, right? Um, uh, the WBA has sanctioned the fight, but the WBC, even though Paola Torres is my number one challenger, according to them, um, decided they didn't want to support this fight. So um, right. they, um, you know, my mandatory right now is... Um, Amanda Serrano, that is kind of what we're building up to. This fight is just to, like I said, to get get the ball going, see if I can do this and be uh, mentally and emotionally strong enough to continue. Um, And then the next fight should be a a, a big unification fight. So uh, long story short, WBA title is on the line, but the WBC one for some reason is not. Again, a movie. It's been, it's been a war of attrition uh, mentally for in this training camp. I think, um, you know, I don't know what kind of life lessons I'm supposed to learn throughout this process, but it's been hard. Well, been hard. I, I, again, I, I appreciate that that you're sharing your journey with us. You've you've always been so honest and such a great guest on the show. And uh, thanks for 
you know, coming on here less than a week away from the bout. All the best in the final preparations. All the best on Thursday. Of course, uh, we will be in touch afterwards as well. Jelena, of thank course. you. Of course. I miss you guys at home. I was like, it's been a long seven weeks. And you text me, I was like, of course I'll come on. I miss everybody at home. So um, thank <laughs> that is you awesome. for having me on. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm sad I miss all the good weather at home. I'm going to come back. It's going to be really cold. Yeah, it's getting cold the last couple of days. Hey, all the best. Yeah. All the best. We'll see you soon, Thank okay? You. Thank you. That is Jelena Mergenovic checking in tonight. She's the WBA and WBC women's featherweight champ. The WBA belt is on the line on Thursday. Man, uh, she was taking you through her year and, of course, the big blow when she tells you how she's uh, still dealing with that is that her longtime trainer and, as she said, a, a, you know, a second father figure in her life, Milan Lubavac, um, had a cardiac arrest in February and has remained uh, in a coma ever since. And as she very honestly said, at this point, they, they don't expect that he's going to come out of it. She's had some breakdowns, but I love what she said. I actually kind of feel bad for this girl, Paula Torres, that she's fighting on Thursday because, it's, as uh, Jelena said, she's going to go straight savage on her. I have- when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have no doubt about that. Happy to hear from you tonight. 780-496-0063. Inside Sports on Chet. On 6.30, Chet. So, yeah, that bout for Jelena Mergenovic coming up on Thursday the 17th, taking on Paula Torres with the WBA Women's Featherweight featherweight, uh, belt on the line. Really honest interview there from Jelena, still uh, dealing with the the medical crisis uh, facing her trainer, Milan Lubavac. And obviously just going through the, the pandemic and having to reschedule some things and try to get back into the ring. But of course, we uh, wish her all the best. An absolute uh, legend, one of Edmonton's all-time greatest, for sure. The Big L says, uh, wow, Reed, what a tough young lady. I wish her and her trainer all the best, and you deserve a canned ham for being able to pronounce her name. Well, Big L, I've had some practice over the years. She's probably been on the show uh, two or three times a year ever since uh, I've been hosting it. Uh, Dave Leppard says, Hey, Reed, I'm very excited for the world juniors. I think Canada looks like we have a solid team as always. Who do you think will be the most difficult opponent this year? He says, play more Def Leppard as well. Yeah, that's a good question, Dave. Cam Moon was on last night. Uh, you know, I'll kind of defer to him. He's a little bit more plugged into that scene than I am. And I, I, I think the United States should remain a strong opponent for Canada, though, uh, as Cam said, and others have prognosticated about the tournament, possibly Canada's best world junior team since the Grand Forks team back in uh, 0405 during the National Hockey League lockout when they had a pretty stacked team and rolled to the gold medal there. So could be, could be uh, some nice, nice Canadian results coming up at Rogers Place. So again, Dylan Holloway, the Oilers prospect, taken 14th overall. In the draft in October is on the team. Caden Gooley from Sherwood Park, Kirby Dock from Fort Saskatchewan, also making that final roster. Tyler Benson, an Oilers prospect who got into seven games this past season. He's currently playing in Switzerland. He's coming up between 7 and 7.30 tonight. And when we get back, always love having this guy on the show. Great storyteller, thoughtful guy, former NHL enforcer, now an analyst with the Columbus Blue Jackets, has family here in the Edmonton area. Jody Shelley. 
right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Still uh, hoping for January 13th or so for the National Hockey League. Maybe they'll still tweak those proposed divisions. Uh, you could see possibly Dallas and Minnesota swip, uh, swap divisions. Hopefully some votes next week by the Players Association and the Board of Governors. Tyler Benson, Edmonton Oilers prospect. He's been playing in Switzerland. We'll catch up with him in about half an hour. But I'm pleased to welcome back to the show former NHLer, now an analyst on Fox Sports Ohio for Columbus Blue Jackets game games it is jody shelley jody how are you doing i'm great reed thanks for having me back man always my pleasure well i love having you on the show because uh you always have good insight and you always seem to come up with a story or two whether you oh like boy. it or not uh sometimes i maybe <laughs> pull you into one but uh, no it's 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 good to have you i mean how, how are you doing like such a change in the routine you spent like your adult life is either playing hockey from September to sometime in the spring or now talking about hockey from September until sometime in the spring. So uh, I, you know, Rob Brown always tells me that athletes are creatures of habits and, and the habits are altered. So how are, how are you holding up with the change in routine? You know what? Uh, Brownie's right. I mean, when, when you're in uh, that professional hockey setting, you just kind of put your head down and, you know, follow the itinerary, if you will. And when you have some free time, you try to take advantage of it. But, you know, right now with the Stanley Cup being handed out in the summer, was that in July or August? And now here we are, or it was even later than that, wasn't it? It was in the fall. I think it was, um, I think it was September. But yeah, I got to double check. Yeah, it started in July. That's right. What a year. So it, it got handed out in the fall. And here we are getting ready for Christmas and the new year. Uh, and talking about hockey, it kind of feels like the lockout. Now, the last lockout that I was a part of was in 2013, so I was preparing for that. Uh, but now my kids are much older, and so I have a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. And, you know, I'm just uh, trying to help out around the house, Reed. I'm trying to uh, stay engaged with what's going on in the National Hockey League. I think that's part of our day all the time. But really, uh, not, much of a, not, not much of an adjustment. You know, I guess you treat it as the off-season. I'm able to coach my... Uh, my 12-year-old, my second-year peewee, my son's playing, so I'm coaching his team, which has been a treat for me. Um, but, you know, just trying to stay out of the way, I guess. You know, my wife gets a good routine when it's usually a, a normal winter, and uh, she's got the kids running around, and, and they're in school and their routine. But with no one in the world having a routine, it kind of fits my lifestyle. So it's been pretty good, and, and I tell you what, like everyone else, just trying to make the most of every day and enjoy what we have and uh, hope for, uh, you know, some good news, which I think we're going to get here soon. Yeah, I, I hope so as well on a lot of different fronts. You're right. Now, when you when it comes to you coaching, coaching minor hockey, are you a patient coach? Are you a fiery coach? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I try my hardest to be a patient coach. You know, this is a travel hockey team. It's just single A. The kids are, you know, a lot of the kids played house two years ago. Uh, so there's a lot, a lot there. There's a lot to, to teach them. So I find myself um, trying to keep things simple, 
but also trying not to be fiery. I can't stand it. So my son played baseball um, for a few years, and a couple of the coaches I saw, I just sit back and watch them kick the dirt, and I'm like, what are you doing? And, and then, you know, I really think they don't realize what they're doing. So I don't think I'm a fiery coach, but uh, I haven't seen any video of myself, read, so I don't know. Maybe I am, but from, from if you're asking me, I'm calm, and I try to be the cool coach, everybody's friend over there. So what do you what do you stress teaching kids? Is it kind of positional play or saying like, hey, if if you're here, just make sure the puck goes there? What kind of things do you do you stress? Because obviously, you know, when when you reach the NHL, it it gets more complex every level, yeah. even every year. What do you what do you stress at the level you're at? Well, that's one thing I try to do with our coaches because we have, you know, I'm not the head coach, but I have a coach who's, you know, USA hockey learned and, and he's great. He's so prepared. But I try to tell him, like, you know, we don't need to work on a power play. I mean, the number one thing for me, and I think it's the most uh, underrated skill uh, in, uh, in youth hockey down here. I don't know about up there in Edmonton, but for me, it's passing. You know, everyone works on their shot. Everybody spends, you know, go shoot 100 pucks a day or whatever it is. Uh, for me, the art of passing and receiving a pass because... You know, we watch the NHL and, and the way they move that puck, and, and you guys have Connor McDavid there. A lot of the times, you know, they can't even get him the puck because he's so quick, and, and you got to be extra sharp. That's why dry settle is so good with him. But for me, when you're watching these kids, I mean, to make three passes in a row tape to tape, to me, that's a major victory because, and it's, and I don't, you can pick any level you want. Um, you know, forehand, backhand passing, that's something that I want my kids to do. Um, and, and, I, and I'm not too structured. You know, there's a couple things in the defensive zone. I remember as a player, you know, I used to go over one thing in the defensive zone to remember one detail in the neutral zone if I had the puck. And in the offensive zone, I had one responsibility. And, and I try to keep, teach that with my kids is that, you know, uh, if you don't have the puck, you should do this. And if you do have the puck, you should do that in all three zones. So uh, to answer your question, the skill of passing needs to be worked on every day however you can and then simple teaching i cannot complicate things for these kids i love how you answer that and i love that you bring up passing because to to bring rob into this again he talks about again you 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 mentioned jody not just giving a good pass but receiving a good pass and receiving it in a way that you can you can do something like okay you got to get it but then can you either shoot it or pass it you know in basketball they would talk about a triple threat you can either dribble or you can pass or you can shoot and i think the same things apply in hockey once you get the puck on your stick do you get it in a position where you can quickly make another good play with it yeah and and that's you know that's the mental part of it so when you look at the, the highest level um you know, and some of the special special players you have on the Oilers, who I love watching, they're not they don't know what they're gonna do with the just when they get the puck. They know what they're gonna do two steps ahead of that. And and you know, if you can get your players to before they get the puck, understand option A, option B, option C, so that if A and B close, you know you're going to C. Uh, that's how you get the puck in a in a position where, yeah, you can and I tell my kids. You, as the guy receiving the puck, you have the responsibility to control the puck and not make the play that not a hope play or, or a play that, you know, don't fail with the pucks because, you know, we work hard to get it. And now you're the guy we're going to give it to now handle, receive it, manage it, and then 
be the next guy to be that great option open. So, you know, that it's, it's hard to remember how, how, to, how much you have to simplify it. But when you really sit down and have a conversation like that, uh, this, and you can go to any level, you can go to Peewee, you can go to AAA and any level, and you can go to the National Hockey League. It is worked on and worked on and worked on. And, and, and this conversation is had all the time because the options run out quicker in the NHL, but you have to be uh, prepared at any, any situation when you have that puck. Jody Shelley joining us tonight on Inside Sports. So, th- so when, you, when you were in the NHL, what did you hope to get out of a practice? I mean, did you kind of, based on how the previous game went, did you maybe already have a de- an idea what mood the coaching staff was going to be in or, or what they were going to emphasize? But I'm just wondering when Jody Shelley left, because look, if you left, when you leave the rink after a game, you win, you scored for you, you know, you played a good physical game, you felt good. What made Jody Shelley, the player, feel good when he went home after a practice? Well, I'll tell you, uh, practice, Reed, was pretty much my tryout for that day or, or my game, as one coach put it. Um, you know, it was my time to either impress my teammates or my coach just on a skill set level, you know. Um, of course, I had to understand the practice. Uh, I had to be eager to, to be first in drills and, and do it perfectly and beat the goalie. Um, but I always tried to work on... Um, you know, being a reliable line mate. So I don't know. I mean, you know, speed, I worked on my feet and hands. I used to, my first coach in the national hockey league was uh, former, former hockey Canada guru. And, and one of the smartest guys in the game to this day, I'd say a doctor in hockey is uh, Dave King. And, you know, he used to take 15 minutes after every practice and work on my quick feet, just crossovers and, and, and quick hands. And so for me, it was quickness, but always during the drills, it took a lot of pride in making sure I got the drill right. Uh, wasn't in the way, if you will, you know what I mean? Just try to be a good part of the practice uh, and work on my speed and, and then try to impress. That's really what it was. You knew that the, if we had a game tomorrow and we practiced today at 11 here, um, and you know, I would make sure that I would try everything I could to make the coaches feel like, yeah, you know, we should keep Shelly in the lineup because you know, go out there and practice like a dog or have an off day uh, wouldn't be a good thing for me as a fourth line winger. So that, you know, a lot of speed work, uh, a lot of passing, but also the details of not being a problem in practice. A little different than Brownie. Brownie could have floated through a few practices. <laughs> well, he's told me that he did. He's, he's, he's a yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a natural, naturally gifted uh, hockey player. We know that. So you referenced the 12-13 season, which actually didn't was only the 2013 season because of the lockout. They didn't play any games in the fall of 2012. I, I don't know if I've ever you only I think you only wound up with one game that season yeah. after playing right. usually, you know, 60 or more most of the pre. So yeah. what's the story of that that final game in the NHL? Well, you know, I, I um the year before we played in the Winter Classic and um, Mike Rupp had scored two goals. Peter Laviolette had scratched me for the game uh, and Rupp had done the Jaeger salute uh, after he scored a goal. And this was the outdoor game, like 70,000 people uh, at, at uh, in Philly at the outdoor uh, baseball stadium there where the Phillies play. And that stung me, you know, you know, just a little, little disrespect and Rupp knew it was coming. So my one game was against, uh, was against him. I think he was at the Rangers at the time. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, I dropped gloves and, and gave it to him a bit and then gave the Yager salute. And that was my last game in the national hockey league. I have only needed me for one game that year. 
Um, I knew I was done. I kind of had a hip problem. Um, and I knew I was done at the end of my, you know, kind of at the end of my career. And, um, so that was it. That's how I went out. One, uh, my first game in the NHL was two fights in uh, eight seconds. And I think my last game in the NHL was probably, I probably only played a couple minutes, but I just had one, one good fight ended on a good note. I'll put it that way. And Mike Rupp's a friend of mine. He's a good guy, but uh, he knew that was coming. Right. Yeah. Well, most guys usually do when, when they do something like that. <laughs> well, we're, look, we're, we're hearing a lot about January 13th. I, I'm just curious your perspective as a player, because you were in the NHL for the 04, 05 season that didn't happen. And we referenced the, the lockout in, in 12, 13. It, it appears the players are going to owe some debt to the owners if they take, you know, their salaries or most of their salaries now, but that could lead to, maybe the owners get a larger portion of the pie down the road. So maybe the next generation of players or future contracts aren't as big. What do you, what do you make of all that? I mean, you've been in the PA where there's been tough decisions to make. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's such a, when you watch this happen, you, you hear about the business side of it. And as a player and and as now a, an outsider of, of that uh, negotiation, you know, there, you realize how much there is that goes into it and how many hours they put into all the details and how much uh, angling and posturing and, and, and work goes into it. I don't feel like there's much posturing in this one, though. You know, I feel like the players, I still don't know if they totally understand the escrow um, as far as being a 50-50 partnership with revenue with the owners. I mean, that's most leagues don't give 50-50% and the the owners did and they said, yes, we'll give you 50% instead of 48 or 47%. Uh, But you have to understand that if a revenues fall short, then you guys have to make up the difference. And, you know, that's why their salaries are high. That's why the salary cap goes up. That's why the league is is gaining health. Um, You know, I I, I see all this and and I, I just hope that you know, the players realize that, you know, there's a lot going on everywhere and everyone's uh, impacted by what's happening in, in this. And, you know, I think the talk during uh, the last lockout was, oh, the owners are rich. You know, that's always the talk is that, you know, the wealthy owners and, and the players are just trying to uh, play their career. Well, it's one year in your career. Uh, some players, it's going to be their last year, whether you like it or not, this will end some players' career. And, you know, the players have got to realize that, hey, you're going to take a big hit. Yeah, escrow stinks. It's one of those things that's part of what you're doing, though. And they've got to, I think, just move forward with what they're doing. Yeah, if they only get 25% or 40% of their salary, you know what? They're doing it for the good of the game to move forward. And, and you know, we heard that in 04 when we lost a year and we look back and what a waste that was, but you know, it did clean up a lot. You know, we needed the salary cap. We needed to move forward. 13 things needed to be ironed out. We lost half a season, uh, which was terrible too. But you know, you're talking about the health of the national hockey league, which I think it's never been healthier until the pandemic. So now you have to take the hit. And um, you know, I hear some of the things that's suggested as marketing on the players and, and things moving forward. I think it's time to do that. I think it's time to take advantage of the moment with these athletes. If you have to put something on their jerseys, nothing crazy, but get the most that you can out of this game and, and, and do it for the players because we all want to see Connor McDavid and he gets paid well because he is a, he is, I mean, he's, it's amazing what he can do. And uh, we stay up late. He's watched all around the world. He drives revenue. So pay him. And then the other guys have to realize that, Hey, you're a part of the league. You bring it too. but there's a business side of this that this year, it's not going to be good for the year, but it's going to be good for next year moving forward. That's my opinion on what's happening here.
No, that that's a that's a really well informed take, Jody. So so we appreciate that. Hey, I, I I'm so happy you came on the show tonight. Uh, you, you've hopped on two or three times here when the, there hasn't actually been games going on. So we do appreciate just that uh, you're a great storyteller and and uh, we look forward to talking about actual hockey games in the very near future, man. Yeah, well, you know, this is a time that people like you, Reed, uh, really, you know, show your your worth. I mean, you you're, you're a talented broadcaster. You, you ask great questions. Uh, I think anybody can talk about a game that just happened. So, hats off to you. I appreciate what you do. I think we all do, and uh, the pleasure is mine to be on. So, uh, appreciate it and keep up the good work. That was Jody Shelley. Always enjoy having him on the show, Trucker Dave. Texting in while Jody was giving him some of his thoughts on the NHL, NHLPA negotiations that have gone on here to get ready for the next season. Trucker Dave simply saying, I agree 100%. Former D-man Mark, who finished 114th in Norris Trophy voting in 1984, says, Read great segment. Jody Shelley was preaching at my church. Another dose of reality. I'm sure for the commoners out there, this is the reality they live every day. Mark, bonus points for using the word commoner. In a sentence. Now I'm picturing you dressed as the Queen of England playing table hockey. Mark, by the way, was our uh, table hockey guest a couple of years ago. He's, uh, I don't know if he was he, uh, Mark, are you in charge of the Edmonton Table Hockey League or one of the guys in charge of it? That was a really fun segment. Anyway, yeah, I like having Jody Shelley on the show. I mean, he and Hal Gill, some ex-players, have given some pretty good perspective on uh, what the NHLPA and its members might be thinking right now. We got the 7 o'clock news and weather, and then Tyler Benson, Oilers prospect now in Switzerland. 6.30 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.